A uh, quick note before we start this uh, movie briefly deals with suicide. So if that's something you don't want to hear, feel free to turn off now. Um, but for everyone else, let's jump into the Mannix Man and finish off the silent era of Hitchcock films. Welcome to Hitchcock Chronologically, the podcast where I, Jeff, go through every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's movies, you guessed it, chronologically. And this is an episode that marks the end of an era. For the past who knows how many weeks, well, if you look in your podcast app, you could tell, for, for the past eight weeks, I've been watching silent films directed by Alfred Hitchcock and uh, complaining about it, largely, uh, where... Every podcast you probably said to yourself, I wish he would shut up. Uh, he's doing this to himself. No one feels bad for you. Please stop it. Well, guess what? We're here now. You don't have to worry about it. Okay? This is the last time I have to review a silent film. And the silent film in question is 1929's The Mannix Man. And I have no idea how to say this. It's M-A-N-X-M-A-N. And a Manx, an M-A-N-X, is kind of a twofold thing. I don't know if it's a region. This is part of the region they're in. But a Manx is also maybe a judge or something. It's like multi-layered. I don't know what exactly it means. But this is a love triangle. And if you've listened to any of the other episodes, you'll know that that's pretty par for the course for Alfred Hitchcock to do a... Uh, um, love triangle. Here's the deal though. He does it in this movie better than any of the movies he's done before. So spoiler as to whether I like this movie or not, this is easily the best silent movie he's made just from a pure storytelling standpoint. Like there's things I like about the pleasure card, but it's mostly because it's weird and there's things I like about the farmer's wife because it was this unexpected comedy but when it comes down to good storytelling both of those still kind of fall short there's a lot of dead space and you know the, the farmer's wife is two hours long for no real reason there's lengthy parts of just watching people farm and party you know just it made no sense but in this movie there's no dead weight each scene tells a piece of the story now the best thing about this movie is actually the cast. The cast stars Carl Brizen, who played one round in The Ring. I wasn't that impressed with him in that. He's very good in this. And it also stars Malcolm Keane, who, if you don't know, he played a character in The Lodger. And maybe this will remind you who that is. Ooh. Dushka. Yeah. It's Douche Cow. Ah. If you got no proof, doesn't matter to the douche. Douche Cow. Got no proof, doesn't matter to the douche. It's a Douche Cow. That's right. 
just found out what handcuffs. Our very own douche cop has returned for his third appearance in a Hitchcock film. Uh, the first of which being The Lodger. The second of which, or excuse me, the first of which being um, The Mountain. Oh, God. The first of which being The Mountain Eagle, which is that lost Hitchcock film that no one uh, in modern times has seen. And of course, the second role being that of the lot in the lodger as our our dear and wonderful douche cop. Here's the thing, though, he's great in this. Uh, and then, of course, we have our third protagonist, uh, played by Annie Andra, who is Kate, and uh, she is the love interest in this movie. So we start off with uh, basically our, our uh, Mr. Brizen. He plays a character named. Uh, Pete, who is got eyes for this bartender, I th- or I don't even know that she's a bartender, but yeah, she works. So th- all of this takes place on like this boating uh, area where boats come and go, this pier, if you would, that's probably the right word. And one of those boaters is Pete, who is played by Mr. Brison. And he is so charismatic and like, just leaps off the screen and you kind of have to be that way when you're doing a silent film, but he's great. He, uh, is sim- he's, uh, likable. He's sympathetic and, uh, you just, you want the guy to win. And that's important because of the way this plot goes. He is friends with Malcolm Keene, uh, AKA he's known in this movie as Philip. We will, I will probably bounce back and forth between calling him Philip and Keene because Philip and Pete can get confusing. So Pete, is Brizen. He's the nice young guy. And then uh, Malcolm Keene is an older lawyer gentleman. He's actually uh, due to be what's called a deemster, which is like a judge, basically. They wear the powdered wig and they oversee various things that happen in this town. I don't know if it's like a regional thing, but he essentially he's a judge at the end of the day. And he's about to inherit it somehow, or I'm not sure how that works, but he is a lawyer. Um, he's got good money, whereas Pete is a boater. He goes out and fishes or does. I don't know what they don't really say, but he doesn't make a lot of money. Uh, he has the hots for Kate. And by he, I mean Pete, the boat guy. He has the hots for Kate and he goes <laughs> and at the same time so they're in this bar that's owned by this old crusty dude that happens to be kate's dad and pete asks malcolm Keene, his lawyer friend to approach kate's dad and ask if it's okay if 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 pete dates kate malcolm Keene doesn't want to do this because he also is attracted to kate so here we go love triangle right right out of the gate but he's a good friend. And this is what's good about this movie. Uh, it, it does a great job of seeing everyone else's point of view to a degree. Uh, but definitely with the, the two, with the two, uh, with Pete and Philip, they both uh, are well fleshed out characters, but Malcolm Keene wants to be a good friend to his friend, Pete. And he goes and talks to, uh, Kate's dad and Kate's dad loses it. He's like, no, he's poor. Get him out of here. How dare he even speak my daughter's name? Pete says, okay, 
I will go overseas and make my fortune and come back. What he does making his fortune overseas and why he has to do it overseas, I'm not sure. Of course, it's the 20s. Who knows? So he is decides that what he's going to do, he goes to Kate. He stands on the shoulders, literally stands on Malcolm Keene's shoulders and says, hey, I, I want to date you. I want to be with you and I'm going to go overseas to make my fortune so I can earn your hand. Will you wait for me? And at first she kind of plays coy. No, no, no. And then she goes, yes, yes, yes. And, and he's like totally stoked. He's like, okay, I'm off. And he, he celebrates with Malcolm Keene says, yeah, we did it. And right after this, she has like a change of heart and she busts open the window and it was like, wait a minute. And she sees Malcolm Keene. And then you can see that she's kind of hot on him and blah, blah, blah. So while he's at sea, uh, he, he, Pete asked Malcolm Keene to watch over her while he's out making his fortune. And he's like, okay, they, as he's watching over her, uh, Kate and Malcolm Keene start to develop feelings for one another. And shortly thereafter, they get a note saying Pete died. Our, our sailor friend, the lovable Pete has passed away at sea. And instead of mourning, Kate says, we're free. And she lets Key know, I want to be with you. Let's let's get together. But we cut and we find out that this is just wrong information. I'm not sure how they got it wrong, but Pete is still very much alive. Uh, he writes a note, says he's he's made his fortune. I'm on my way home. Don't tell. He's writing to Keen saying, don't tell Kate, but I'm buying a ring. Don't tell her I'm coming back. And I don't know if he never gets this note because he later gets another note. Keen does that tells him that he's on his way. But uh, Malcolm Keene's in too deep now. He's got feelings for her. She really just wants him. Uh, and he meets, uh, he, he, he's going to break it to, uh, Malcolm Keene is going to break it to Kate saying, hey, meet me down by the beach, which involves apparently a lot of rock climbing. She has to scale uh, a rock uh, like cliff pretty much. And I'm not even joking. It, very dangerous, but she's able to do it. And uh, Keen tells her that, hey, Pete's coming back. We kind of got to cut off this thing we're doing because um, he does want to be a good friend. And this is kind of what I like about this movie is that Malcolm Keen kind of knows he's doing wrong. He feels bad about how he's treating his friend. Um, it's not he's not like a simply I I'm doing this for me and who's he's not talking bad about Pete because the whole time Pete's a great guy. Like he doesn't do anything wrong in this movie. He just, you know, he asked for her hand. He asked if she'll wait. He, in my opinion, does everything the way you'd want. And he's also really kind and friendly, you know? So anyway, Kate says, Hey, I'm, I'm in love with you, Malcolm Keene. I don't want Pete anymore. She apparently doesn't tell Pete this. And neither does Malcolm Keene. Nobody says to Pete, hey, she doesn't love you anymore, which would save everyone a lot of trouble. Okay. So they get back and now dad, her dad is like, oh, you got money. All right. You two can get married now. That's fine. So he's pretty shallow, but he comes into play later. Uh, so they get married pretty much right away. And Malcolm Keene is the best man. So it really just hits these tropes, but it does it again very well. Um, because of the acting, uh, you know, they get married, no one says anything and they're, uh, you know, at the reception, 
you can tell how pain Malcolm Keene is by the look on her face. Uh, Kate, on the other hand, just looks upset. She can't pretend. And she even does this great job of acting when they kiss. Her eyes are open and they're just glazed over and dead inside. Like, she, this is not something she wants. And my question to her is, why? Why still marry him? I know that there's this, uh, you know, th- you've committed verbally, but before you get married, you have every opportunity to get out. And she doesn't. And she keeps this side thing going on with Malcolm Keene. So when I say that the characters are well fleshed out, she is kind of the exception to that. She, her motivations are clear, but they're not, there's no sympathetic side to it. Like there are for Malcolm Keene, who is with her, feels bad that he's with her and is truly wants to be a true friend to Pete, but doesn't want to hurt him. And he's weighing all these things and it's tearing him apart and that makes sense and it's good but she just doesn't care she just wants to be with Malcolm Keene and if she's this heartless now like and heartless uh, anyway I'm gonna just say if she's this heartless now why not be heartless before you got married that way you don't have to worry about the fact that you have this guy that loves you and you're playing you're cheating on him with his best friend I know those things can be hard. Those conversations are hard, but why not just have that as opposed to this love triangle that is probably harder? Uh, It becomes pretty clear. She has no interest in Pete. And I don't know why she's still marrying him. Here's the thing though. Pete is a good dude. The whole movie, like he, after they get married, they come home and he can tell that, you know, you, his body language sort of says, are we going to go upstairs to, you know, consummate this thing? And she's not in the mood and he's cool with that. And he puts a, you know, makes sure she's warm, sits her by the fire, uh, lays his head on her lap. And he's just wanting any kind of real affection at this point. And I'm not just saying sexual, but just anything from her because she's being cold to him and she lays a hand on his head and that's enough for him. He becomes giddy that she's physically comforting him. She has dead eyes the whole time. She's just doing this as like, I have to play this role. Which is probably part of the uh, the, the, the times where that's what you do as a woman. You just play your role. And that's what she's doing here. And so I will have to give her a break on that. It's a different era. And the expectations that are put on her are different than they are now. And maybe turning him away, would she would be... F- shunned you know socially so at some point Malcolm Keene is out of town and there it's posted in the newspaper that he's coming back to town to go ahead and assume the role of Deemster as I as you remember that's a judge he's uh, like the lead judge in the area and she gets really excited and so does Pete Pete to Pete Malcolm Keene is his best friend Malcolm Keene helped him get his wife literally standing on his shoulders he trusts Malcolm Keene to watch over his wife while he's overseas. He implicitly trusts this man, loves him, uh, loves him. So he's just as excited as she is that he's coming home. So he heads out like a day or so later to go work on the ocean on his boat. And she writes a note to Malcolm Keene telling him, hey, come over right away because um, 
Pete's out on the ocean and I want to see you. Malcolm Keene comes in and they have a discussion. She's like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be with him. I want to be with you. We need to tell him about our affair. And it comes out in this that, well, they don't say it on screen, but you kind of get the feeling that, hey, she's pregnant and it's not Pete's baby. It's Malcolm Keene's baby. And, uh, but they don't tell Pete that. So Pete comes home and he sees that she's in their house with another man and he's livid. But as soon as he opens this door and sees that it's Malcolm Keene, he's like, oh, I know that nothing fishy's going on here because Malcolm Keene's my best friend. He wouldn't betray me. And he loves the guy. It's just so well done. The relationship between him and Malcolm Keene. Uh, and uh, while they're there, she tells Pete, Hey, we're going to have a baby. And Pete is stoked to be a dad. And Malcolm Keene knows it's his. And he stands outside while this happens and he gets them to celebrate with him. So shortly thereafter, Philip does indeed become the deemster. And Kate comes to see him immediately and says, I am going to leave. I'm going to leave, uh, Pete and I want to be with you and he's like well where will you go and she's like well I'll just hide here in the office with you like hide in his office so now she's got to leave her her husband and then hide in the office and she does this and so one day Pete comes home and he finds a note with a wedding band on the table that and at this point they've had the baby already so the baby's been born and Pete still thinks it's his and so she takes off and leaves, leaving him this note. And she leaves the baby home alone. This baby is not one year old yet. And not only does she leave the baby home alone, she leaves it next to an open fire, a roaring flame. What? So Pete sees baby by fire. I guess fire is the babysitter. Uh, she lets Pete know that before they got married, she had fallen for another man and she's leaving him. So this embarrasses Pete. Uh, he's saddened, but he's, he's still happy to have his daughter, this baby. Uh, and he tells friends and loved ones that she just needed a holiday. She just needed to get away. So I sent her to London. I'm giving her space. You know, she just needed to be alone for a while, which is not the truth. He's just covering his tracks, making her look good still and protecting himself. So his, uh, in-laws, Kate's parents are there helping him learn how to be a dad, uh, grandma's helping, teaching him how to wash the baby and care for her. And Kay's dad's wandering around the house and he finds this note that she's ran off with another man. And, uh, he becomes furious with his daughter. Um, so Pete gets caught in a lie, but he, he picks up his daughter and is holding her, you know, just being a good dad, just learning to be a good dad. And, uh, it just adds more to the character that he is the victim in all of this. Uh, so Keen is, we come back to Keen and he's still hiding Kate in his office and he's swamped with work because he's the new uh, judge. And she starts getting upset with him because she's like, Hey, you need to choose today. Are you choosing me or your career? And he's like, well, I need some time to think. And she's like, nope, that's enough. I'm leaving. So she grabs her stuff and he's like, where are you going? And she says this. And, and, and up until this point, you don't know whose baby it is. 
but she says, I'm going to go get my baby or I'm going to get the baby, our baby. I'm going to go. I wrote it down. Hold on. I am going to get all that I have left in the world, our baby. So she lets the, the viewer know that the baby is indeed, we don't have to speculate. The baby is indeed Malcolm Keynes and she's going home to get him. She goes to good old Pete's house and she opens the door and he sees her and he is excited to just have her home. He forgives her for leaving. He forgives her for being in love with another man before they were married. Of course, I don't know that he necessarily knows. He doesn't. He definitely doesn't know who. And he, I don't think he knows that this was still going on while they were married. But he welcomes her home. Says, Look at our baby, you know, and she's like, actually, I'm not staying. I'm coming to get the baby and I'm leaving. And he's not playing that. He's like, no, you are not taking our baby. And she says, well, it's not even yours. What a, what a kind way. She's mean, you know, like I'm trying to, because everything else in this movie, they do a great job of creating sympathy. I'm trying to find sympathy for her, but she just makes bad decision after bad decision and never feels bad about it. Never backs it up with any sort of, she's like a sociopath. She's just going to do what she wants. And not worry about other people. But then again, if she did that, she would have broken up with Pete at the beginning of the movie. And then we wouldn't have a movie. And I could have watched one less silent film. But alas, that didn't happen. So he he calls her a liar. You're just lying. You're trying to take the baby. You're a liar. He goes upstairs with the baby and locks her out of the bedroom. Uh, so she starts to walk home and decides now would be a good time to just drown myself. So she jumps in a river and you see all the bubbles and you don't know whether she's dead or alive, but it doesn't take long for us to find out that she does survive. So she is alive. But how we find this out is the next scene. We're seeing Malcolm Keene's first day as a judge actually serving in court first ever day, right? Keep that in mind as about what's about to happen. And uh, the one of the like smaller judges said, well, the first thing you need to rule on is sort of this minor thing, the charge of attempted suicide. So apparently, and I don't know if that's the case in America still, but if you attempt suicide in 1929 and wherever this is, you literally just get arrested and thrown in jail like you're a criminal. Now, granted, they don't have the... Uh, understanding of mental health that we have these days and the fact that sending someone who's suicidal to jail probably just compounds the issue uh, but she refuses to give her name and so Malcolm Keene says well bring in the person who has attempted suicide and she has a, a black robe over her head and she's looking down so he can't see her she hasn't given her name and he asks, well is there anyone here to speak for you and she lifts her head up and Malcolm Keene sees her and he's taken aback, kind of jumps back. And uh, he doesn't say anything <laughs> about who she is. And at this time, Pete comes in. Pete, being the incredible human being that he is, says, I'll speak for her. She's my wife. She has tried to take his daughter. She has told him that their daughter is someone else's. She has had an affair and then told him that she is in love with another man. She's left him high and dry and she left the baby next to an open flame home alone. And yet this man 
keeps coming back. What a guy. He really is like a gem of a guy. If you can't make your marriage work with Pete, how are you going to make it work with douche cop? So Pete says, I'll speak for her, makes a claim. Hey, she's my wife. Just send her home, discharge her, let her come home with me. And uh, Kate says, I'm not going. I'm not going back. I'm done. I am not going back. She just keeps repeating it. Malcolm Keene says, she's discharged, send her home with her husband. And she's again like, I'm not going back. Pete says, well, she was in love with someone else in court. She, he says that she was in love with someone else before we were together. And that's why this kind of drama is happening. But, you know, it's not a big deal. So her dad is there. Now, this is kind of the weird part. This this was like a continuity error. I don't know why her dad's there. If she's been arrested and has not given her name, how does he know to be in court that day? But fortuitously, he's there. And he, he's like shaking. He's angry. And he jumps up and he points at Malcolm Keene and he says... It's him. It's the Deemster. Can't you see that? It, he's the guy that she's been having the affair with. And he, Malcolm Keene, to his credit, like, again, like they do such a good job with him uh, of being this reluctant sinner. And he stands up and he's like, it's true. Uh, I don't deserve this trust that you've put in me talking to Pete. Uh, I've not earned it and I failed you. And I've also don't deserve this post of Deemster. I resign. And this scene is the best scene in the movie because it's really tense. Like, you know, this is one of the, like the climactic scene, you know, things are about to go down. Everything will be revealed. And it's one of those first times you really get Hitchcock doing suspense and doing it in the silent film with the way it cuts to each person in their faces. Like the whole time, Kate is stoic and angry and you can see it in her face and you can see that Pete is a good guy and he's just here to help. He wants to bring his wife home and make sure she is well. And the whole time, Judge Keen is sweating bullets. If you've seen that meme of Jordan Peele sweating, that's him. And because he knows the truth is probably going to come out and he tries to hold on and hide it as long as he possibly can until the truth finally comes out and he's free to say, yes, that's me. I did that. It's, it's a great scene. And we cut to what ends up being the last scene in the movie where Kate is in their old home, Phil, uh, Pete's old home, and she picks up the baby and takes her with Malcolm Keene. And so now not only does Pete not have a wife, he no longer has a daughter and the neighborhood is all there and they're yelling at Kate and Malcolm King as they Malcolm Keene as they walk away. So uh, there's a line in the movie that Malcolm Keene says that, uh, you know, we've all suffered and okay. Yeah. It hasn't been easy, but you've made this bed. So Pete has, suffered unjustly unlike you two who have made decisions that placed you in this position malcolm key uh, excuse me uh pete has done nothing wrong and he's just been wronged by his best friend and his wife so i hear what he's trying to say i don't buy it um 
but they leave. And the next, the final shot is uh, Pete on a boat sailing out to the ocean to, to work the next day. And it fades to black. I loved this movie. And love's a strong word, maybe. I, I, I But it, maybe it's because I've watched all these silent movies. And this is the first one I could call a film that tells a story from beginning to end in a very good way. Where it's tells you the right things and it doesn't tell you other things to leave to your imagination. There isn't this nice, tight, happy ending. Uh, it just kind of ends with Pete losing everything. The only good person in this movie. Oh, okay. Good person. The only infallible person in this movie is Pete and he loses everything. The nice guy lost and it cuts the black and it doesn't give you any any pat on the back to, to if you're watching this in the theater to say, there you go, happy ending. It doesn't do that. And even Malcolm Keene and, and Kate, they walk away shunned by society. She's an adulterer. He's uh, cheated on, you know, slept with his best friend's wife and had this baby out of wedlock. I don't know how they feel about that back in the 20s, but I'm pretty sure it's more uh, negative than it's viewed today. Like the, the, I cannot stress enough how good the performances are between with Malcolm Keene and Brison. They are both really good. Brison's insanely likable. He's got a big, goofy looking smile and this curly hair that flops around. He's just like a likable guy. And the way he lightens up, he lights up when he sees both Kate and his best friend just adds to the effect when the betrayal is found out. Uh, Kate. Her acting's okay. There are points where it's brilliant when she's uh, being physically intimate with Pete, but also at the same time being able to show that she's uncomfortable uh, because this isn't what she really wants. She's not really in love with this guy. And her body language conveys that really well. There's times that she overacts when it comes to like, but at the same time, it kind of works because she's pretending to laugh at Pete's jokes, you know, and so it kind of feels oversold, but maybe that's the point. But then there's the points where she has to remain stone faced in the courtroom and she does a great job. So the acting all around is really great. Malcolm Keene is fantastic as uh, someone who's holding in all this self-hatred for what he's done to his friend. Uh, and still he is portrayed kind of as I don't know how to explain it. It's so nuanced that he's this reluctant sinner. So this is my favorite. Now, if you don't know, my rating system is uh, thumbs up or thumbs down and whether or not this is my favorite Hitchcock movie, ignoring the fact of the ones I've seen after this date. That is so convoluted. But anyway, this is my new favorite Hitchcock movie that I've seen since I started this podcast. So uh, this is actually a movie and this is actually really the first glimpse that last scene one of the final scenes in the courtroom is the last glimpse of Hitchcock really showing his ability to be the master of suspense um, so I I found this movie on Daily Motion which again is like an off-brand YouTube uh, it's still on there as of right now it's under the Max Man M-A-X-M-A-N but it's M-A-N-X-M-A-N which is weird well we've done it Every single one of Alfred Hitchcock's silent films has now been watched and reviewed by me on this podcast. Ah, it's like a weight off my back. 
And he finished on top, right? He saved the best for last. He became uh, the master of his craft at the last minute. Because now we head into the sound era. And so the next movie is called uh, Blackmail. And it was both simultaneously filmed in uh, a silent version and a talky version. So I'm praying, from what I understand, the silent version is really hard to find. So I'm pretty sure the next one I'm going to watch is the talky version, hopefully. Um, uh, I guess that's it. I don't know. I'm just drawing things out at this point. I want to thank you for listening to Hitchcock Chronologically. You can uh, email me if you want at hitchcockchronologically at gmail.com. You can click the Discord link in the description. It'll take you to the Budget Arcade Discord where you can find me and we can discuss further if you wish. Uh, I guess that's it for now. But next week, baby, we get to watch a movie with sound in it. So be sure to come back for that. Thanks for listening.